Tonight, Pastor Sadler talks about setting goals. Oftentimes, we set goals and don't follow through. But when is the last time you included God into your plans? Who has started with goals and resolutions? This may be the most profound thing I say tonight, and that is setting goals is easy. Achieving them is hard. I'm going to get at the end a little bit into, if we're going to get in a little bit to maybe some of the enemies or the obstacles, we'll get into maybe some of those pitfalls, okay? Remember what Paul said? He said, you did run so well, comma, what did hinder you? Anybody here been hindered in your pursuit of goals? I'm very uncomfortable doing this. It's not on the schedule. Brother Leno, if we need to delete it, we will, but I don't think we will. Biblical concept of goal setting, is it biblical? Is it beneficial? I want to get you prepared now so you're well informed before the new year starts. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm asking, when I started talking about this, who will admit there was one thing that popped in your head when I started talking about goals and new year Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, I got me, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody else? Seven, eight, nine. Okay, anybody here willing to raise your hand and say, I'll tell you what mine was? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, stay stay with it. Love it. Who else raised their hand? Drop a few pounds. Anybody else? Read your, I love it. Drop more than a few pounds. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, fine. Okay, so if you've been in church here very long, you'll know there's three common denominators that affect all of us. You ready for them? You know what they are? Food, money, what's the third one? Relationships. Food, money, and relationships. Those are coming to everybody. When we set goals, they're usually connected to money, food, or health, and, everybody say, relationships. In my case... They're all the same thing. The first one's what? Money. I would have more money if I managed my relationship with food. I'm going to ask a question. Can we trade one dependency for another? Okay. I know people that, boy, Pastor, I'm so glad I gave my heart to Jesus and received the power of the Holy Ghost, and I've quit doing this, and I've quit doing this, and I've quit doing this, but all I do is eat. One guy told me, he says, man, I'm saving money because my food addiction is a lot cheaper than my pot addiction. I was like, okay, go team. Okay. So we're going to talk specifically for just a few minutes. We're going to ask you to turn to James chapter 4. Look at verses 13 through 17. Have you ever seen a turtle sitting on a fence post? I have. There's one thing you can be sure of. He did not get there by himself. In, in life's greatest challenges and the most noble goals to be achieved, none of us can get there by ourselves. Who says we need help? We need help. Okay, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Number two, any, any hunters besides Todd? 
I didn't know I was so funny. Idiot hunters. If you're out in a remote, remote area and you're walking along and you think you're out there in the wilderness by yourself and all of a sudden through, I'm being funny again, out of dense woods, there's a clearing and there's a temple or tabernacle built and it's got stained glass windows and it's got uh, smoke coming out of some kind of chimney. What does that tell you? Okay, okay, okay. Mushrooms happen naturally in nature. Spider webs happen naturally in nature. Rock formations, caves, waterfalls. But tabernacles and temples has to be intentional. If you're on a desert island, you think you're the only person who's ever been on this desert island, and you find a building, you'll know somebody's either here or been here. How does that make you feel? Ooh, it's kind of creepy. I thought, I thought I was there by just me and the deer out here. Okay, I want you to know there are people that have gone before us. Hear me. In achieving goals, it is important to hear what those who have gone before have to say. It is beneficial. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. James chapter 4, the Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow will we go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. We use verse 17 a lot, sometimes out of context. Mostly we get it right, but it's very applicable in context here. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's duality of the text of the scripture here. One, it is saying in context, if you know it's good to say, if the Lord will, and you do it not, you're sinning. It also implies, because the beginning part of this chapter talks about that we should be separate from the way the world thinks and that God will not bless your worldly concepts. And so he's saying, acknowledging God is the right way. Now, I want you to get this tonight. Who believes that goals are good? But if you look at this text, the implication is don't say what you're going to do. Say, if the Lord wills. That seems like a strike against setting goals. Let me give you another text here. I'll paraphrase for the second time. Genesis chapter 11. Who remembers that God had extended grace to a man named Noah? And Noah received a blueprint. And through obedience, he didn't get to build the ark any old way. God had a specific way and said, build ye the ark with these dimensions, with these specifications. And when God shut the door, the rain fell, and everybody who had not heeded the preaching of Noah, the only people that followed him was his sons and daughter-in-laws and wife, and eight souls were saved. God stayed 
his wrath, his anger for 120 years for eight souls. Okay? He was interested in the needs of the people. And on the other side of the flood, what was the command that God gave Noah? Stay with the ark that I told you to build. That ark was for a season. God's plan was to save them through the ark, but to, to live in the ark was not the will of God. He said, do what? Go, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Everybody say multiply. Okay? Multiplication is God's plan. He wants to exponentially he wants to expound. He wants not just to add to, but he wants to multiply the church. Everybody say amen. So we know that Noah settled right around the ark, and sin came to his family. You understand what disobedience leads to? God doesn't give us directions just to give us directions. God gives us a direction because he knows what's best for us. Who remembers being 13 to 25 and any advice your parents gave you, they are so dumb. What in the world? Why would I listen to you? Anybody here ever felt dumb when your kid was a teenager? Anybody get really smart when your child got to be 25 or older? It is amazing how intelligent I became. Do you know what the epiphany was? I didn't get smarter is they realized they didn't have all the answers and that I might have their best interest at heart. And they started listening, okay? Once you know that it's in us to rebel, I want to do it my way, there comes a point of maturity, or I'll even say spiritual maturity, that you realize that the Word of God and the directions of God are not there to boss you around, but to bless you. Bless you. That sign that says bridge out ahead, they're not trying to boss you, they're trying to save you. Don't swim in the toxic water. They're not trying to prevent you from having fun. They want to help you see another day. And God, God knows. And so Noah didn't do. He wasn't obedient. And then a spirit got in the heart of people. Do you remember that in Genesis chapter 11? The people began to say one to another, let us make bricks and try them by fire and begin to build a tower and slime it with slime, mortar it with slime. And we could build a tower, and we could reach into heaven. Unconsciously, they're implying that if God chooses to flood again, we'll be so high up, he won't be able to get us. Nah, 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 nah. Basically, they're saying, I don't have to listen to God anymore. I'm going to bypass what God has said do. Do you understand what God did? God confounded their language. The reason Brother Mario and I struggle to communicate is as a result of sin. Not my sin, not his sin, but because of the people's unwillingness to obey God and go forth and multiply. God said, hey, we're going to go down and confound their language lest they do this thing. The Bible literally says that they could do this thing. For anything they imagine to do, they can work together and achieve. So God caused confusion in language. And that confusion, let's be honest, if you're in a foreign country and all you speak is English and all they speak is Spanish, if you're in a big crowd, you wouldn't look at their passport, you wouldn't care about their criminal record. If you heard somebody else speak in English, would you not gravitate towards that English speaker as fast as you could? Yes. Sister Polly, who's not here tonight, she's from a very small country 
And she migrated to Thailand and then came to the United States of America. And so she had a birthday party for one of her children, a very small country now, very small country. Globally, very few people. And so she says, oh, we're having Abby's birthday party. Pastor, we want you to come. I said, what time is it? We'll bring a gift. Is it casual? Is there food involved? She said, food. I said, I'll be there. It's at noon. We brought a gift. We ate. She opened the gift. We had a great time. We get ready to leave. And these people started pouring in. This is my cousin. This is my uncle. This is my, and she's telling these people. And I said, Polly, I said, I, I, I thought you had one sister here. She said, oh, but pastor, you don't understand. When you're from a small country like mine, if that person's from your country, you adopt him and you make him your uncle and you make her your aunt. You get engrafted. You get, you get excited. Do you understand that because God confounded their language, people gravitated towards the people. It might not even been who they were related to. But whatever tongue they had, people gravitated towards people that they could communicate. I could spend a whole week of Sundays about that. But they gravitated, and that caused the people to spread out, the Bible says, over the face of the earth. God literally confused human language in order for people to obey his original command, which is to go forth be fruitful, lest they work together to reach this goal. If you take this... Genesis chapter 11, and you take James chapter 4 and put them together, you think God is anti-goals. He don't want us working together and building a tower to bypass and reach into heaven. God doesn't want us to say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do the other. So we can't set any goals. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm old enough to grow up in church, especially in certain circles, where you didn't have a plan. You just lived every day for itself, and you didn't invest in retirement. You didn't have a financial plan. You didn't have a plan with anything because that's not spiritual. Now, who believes before Sunday, pastor will have some kind of plan for our service? Who thinks God is an organized God? Who thinks God has a plan? Who's created in the image and the likeness of God? So if God is organized and God has a plan and we are like God, we're not equal to God, but we are fashioned in his image and we have similarities of character and personality, does it stand a reason that God would desire us to be somewhat organized and to have some kind of plan? Okay, I'm going to bring it home in just a second. God is so organized that I can go on a Google app on my phone right now and say, what time does the sun rise Christmas morning? Do you know how they can calculate and know what time the sun's going to rise on Christmas morning? Do they have a, a fortune teller or a crystal ball? H- how do we know that? Because God is an organized God. Hey, does the sun get bored and come up sometimes on the West Coast first? Does it come over the North Pole? Oh, I've been over the North Pole. I'm going to come under the South Pole this time. We never know which way the sun's going to come up, do we? And some days are 44 hours long, and other days are 14 minutes long, which this time of year they seem like 14 minutes long. That's a whole other story. I don't like the darkness, okay? God is organized. Where does the sun come up from? Where does it set? Okay. Is it winter right now? Does winter, is winter followed with summer, which is followed with spring, which is followed by fall? No. Is it different from year to year? 
winter, spring, summer, fall. Well, we, I didn't say temperature now. I said the season. Hey, Tennessee, you can have all four seasons in one weekend. Come on, y'all. Tornadoes today. Freezing rain. To- okay. Lord, I was just teasing. No tornadoes. No tornadoes. So suffice it to say, God is organized. God has a plan. Okay. Does he have a plan for your life? Absolutely. So it seems like on the surface, God is anti-plan. On your piece of paper, the first thing it says, what is a plan? Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says a plan is what? Read it for me out loud. A goal is the end into which effort is directed. Israel, have you been watching World Cup soccer? Yes, I know you, man. You can't hide. Except in the United States, World Cup is the epic sporting event. It's number one by far in all countries except the United States. In World Cup, if I'm Brazil, I'm Brazil, and we're trying to score, and the goal's down there. So where am I kicking the ball towards all the time? Which way am I running to aggressively all the time? I'm trying to get a fast break. I'm trying to lob the ball over the top. I'm trying to get my wingman to cross the ball. I'm trying to get it in. What is a goal? Why do they call that the goal? Because that's the end into which the effort. I'm talking to Americans. How about basketball? My best friend in junior high and high school, Jimmy Whitcup, got so excited with himself. He, he was shorter than me. He was not very tall. And there was a jump ball. Jimmy dug out, and, and they got a jump ball called. And so you understand where on the court they do the jump ball is based on where, where, where the jump ball is called is where the jump ball is done. You can have one, two, three spots on the court. And so it's on this end. And Jimmy is so focused. And the referee threw the ball up. And Jimmy got the ball. I couldn't believe it. I, he little short guy. He got that ball. And he was so excited. He turned around and shot and scored for the other team. Together let's say, oh. What's your point? My point is he got so focused on the jump ball, he lost focus on where he tried to apply his effort. He scored in the wrong goal. Hear me. Who thinks we should set some goals in life? I'm going to make that relevant for a minute. Luke chapter 14, 28. You'll, you'll know it really quickly. So it seems like God is anti-goals. But really, God is for goals. For talking to his disciples, they're considering following him. And he says, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and do what? Count the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. And he goes on to say, for if he starts and doesn't finish, they're going to mock him. Uh, if you're around me very long, you will know implicitly that I love my dad. Uh, smart, smart guy. Uh, didn't have all the uh, credentials and diplomas, but was wise beyond his years. And uh, dad made a mistake. I mentioned tornadoes earlier in 1974. Who was born after 1974? I am feeling very old right now. 
And on April the 4th of 1974, it was the worst tornado outbreak in the United States of America. 261 tornadoes formed. Many of them touched down all the way from the Gulf Coast to Zania, Ohio. Thousands of people died in those storms. Uh, Huntsville, Alabama, my hometown, was hit with two EF4 tornadoes, and then after we thought the storms were over, an EF5. Let me tell you, a four is bad, but a five, it not only would blow this building away, it would suck up the concrete and the blacktop. That's how powerful. And we had an EF5 that was almost a mile wide. We did not get electricity back for 10 days. Bad. And can you imagine what kind of impression that made on the people of that town? Do you realize that one of the states, Alabama does not have the most population, but for a state its size, they sell more tornado shelters in Alabama per capita, per number of people than any state in the union. Did you know that? It's because when it does come a tornado, it's very memorable. It's very vivid. Now, my dad was so, our whole family was somewhat uh, traumatized by the event. We lost a couple members of our church that were killed and uh, ministering to those families with no houses after the, going out to debris fields, man, nothing, nothing. Two by fours and toothpicks. I mean, as a kid, it, Timmy, just, it just marked my mind. Like, oh, my goodness. And so dad said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say well, we don't ever have to worry again. And dad was a wheeler dealer, and he he had a friend that had a backhoe, and he said, hey, I'll give you two years free haircuts if you'll come dig me a hole to my specifications in the backyard. And Dad marked it off, and on a Saturday, Mr. Wilson came to our house, and he dug up a big hole in our yard. Now, we lived on a hill, kind of had a slope, so he dug it out into the hill. It had a pathway and had like a 12-foot by 14-foot, and Dad was going to put a concrete bottom and rebarb and poured walls and put some kind of top on it and put dirt back on it. We'd use it for a root cellar. We would use it for a tornado shelter if we needed to. My brother and I could play cowboys and Indians. and It's just wonderful. And so then he contracted with another friend and, and got him to bring all this rebarb. That's, the, that's that metal material they used to reinforce the concrete. And so we had a pile of that. So we had a big dirt pile on one side of our backyard and all these building materials on the other side of our backyard. And, you know, after something like that passes and you kind of mentally uh, heal and regroup, you lose momentum. You know, it's kind of like when your blood pressure gets high or your sugar gets high and you almost end up in the hospital or almost lose a foot or almost have a stroke. And, man, you're on the straight and narrow. You won't even look at a piece of bacon. But then after you feel better for a while, Bacon ain't going to kill me. I'll fix that bacon. I won't eat seven pieces. I'll eat 73 little crumbles. I'll stretch it. It's time-release bacon. I think I'm helping some people. And the anxiety kind of dissipated and wore off, and Dad lost momentum. And for two or three years, we had a dirt pile and building materials in our backyard to finally... My mother's kitchen sink stared out right to that sinkhole in the backyard. Every time she cooked a meal, washed dishes, Ronnie, when are you going to finish the storm shelter? My brother and I would sit at the t dinner table while mom was finished supper, and we'd say, I wonder if she's going to say it tonight. And she'd go, Ronnie, when are you going to finish the storm shelter? 
And it got to the place, Brother Dallas, that when Dad would hear Mom say, Ronnie, he'd just, oh, here it comes, cringe. It just wore him down. Well, then, then the neighbors began to put the, the belly laugh on him. I like your storm shelter. How's your project coming? You made a poison your dog. You better mind your own business. It got kind of... Now, Randy and I loved it, man. We, we'd play forts, and that dirt pile, we'd have uh, all kinds of uh, skirmishes with our pellet guns and uh, race cars. We had Hot Wheels and Matchboxes. Man, it was wonderful. But Mom had had enough, and neighbors had ticked, uh, teased Dad enough. Do you know what Dad ended up doing? He threw all the building materials in that sinkhole and paid Mr. Wilson to come back and push the dirt back over it. So if you go to that address and you have a metal detector, it will go off. Because there's all that rebar buried right under the surface. All that built a, a metal door, safety doors is under there. And these vents and pipes are all under there. Now, why am I telling you that? Hear me. We get motivated but dad did not stop and count the cost of the total investment. How many Saturdays was he going to have to work? How much was the concrete going to cost? He didn't factor in gravel. He didn't factor in a roof. He, he didn't factor in running the electrical. He didn't factor in a vent and a fan. And finally, it just got a little more overwhelming, a little pricier than he wanted to pay. And he just abandoned it. Jesus was telling his disciples, before you decide to follow me, you got free will. Okay? It's my will that you follow me, but you better count the cost. For it would be better to count the cost and realize you do not have sufficient to follow me. Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that, behold, it began to mock him. Verse 30, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He goes on with another example. I won't make you read it right now. I want you to know, though, that God desires us to count the cost. Now, what is goal setting? What is goal setting? Setting goals. What is the goal? So, remember the turtle on the fence? He didn't get there by himself. Do you remember walking on a deserted, you think a deserted island, and you see a temple, a sanctuary built? Did it get there naturally? No, somebody had to build it. That's the phrase you need to zero in on. If you're going to reach or achieve your goal, you got to be intentional. Okay, who in here said you would like to lose weight is a goal? Raise your hand high. Raise your hand high if you want to lose weight. Okay, do you realize if you're not intentional and you start to lose weight, the doctor is going to put a lot of tests on you? Why? probably in their mind something is wrong because you don't just lose weight. Who thinks you could just wake up in the morning and you lost 40 pounds? Okay? Okay? Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. A goal without a plan is nothing more than a wish. You got to be Intentional. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to be intentional. You can't just flop and just be my disciple. You gotta, it's going to cost. There's going to be consequences. It's going to take effort. Anything worth doing is going to take effort. 
How many people want a college degree, but they don't want it bad enough? How many people want to get the promotion at work, but they don't want to necessarily do what it takes to get it? Okay. Oftentimes, we have to get more uncomfortable or dissatisfied where we are before we'll be open to the changes necessary to get to where we say we want to be. Okay. Who admits that sometimes it takes a financial crisis to get us to get willing to discuss our finances and make changes? Who admits we have to hit a health crisis sometimes before we're willing to make the changes necessary? Okay. I don't think she would mind me saying so. About this time last year, Julie hit a health crisis. The doctor wanted to put her on metformin. She's uh, pre-diabetic, borderline diabetic. Julie's lost 98 pounds. Not one time have I had to challenge her about what to eat. I've never said, hey, it's time to go walk on the treadmill. I'm afraid of her. I would never say either wonderful, no matter what. My answer is all. Guys, repeat after me. You look wonderful. Even better, I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, you want me to be sick? I see how you are. You've already spent my insurance money. Ha! Ah. Sometimes you just can't win, guys. Just can't win. That health crisis caused Julie to be willing to discuss some of her habits. Uh, we hit a major uh, financial crisis in the year, I'm, I'm trying to run the numbers in my head, uh, 1998, Jill and I hit a major financial crisis. We'd just been limping along, limping along. But when we hit that financial crisis, if I'm going to have to deal with this, man, I'm going to just lay everything on the table and we're just going to change everything. And that's what we did. We sold everything but the kids. And we gave serious consideration to selling them. And we let go of some things we thought we couldn't live without. And it totally changed the financial trajectory of our lives. But sometimes, most of the time, we have to be in crisis mode before we're willing. Now, I'm chasing a small rabbit. That's when we got skinny rabbits around here, okay? I had a very condescending church board member. It's been many years ago. Does not go to church anymore. Doesn't matter who it is. But they kind of made an appointment to talk to me. Something was bothering them. I said, okay, sure, whatever. I'll be glad to talk to you. And they were building their case that, did you notice, Pastor, the only time such and such, the people who tend to go to the altar, who are the people that are in a crisis in their life? I went, let me ask you a question. Can you think of a better place to go in crisis than to the house of the Lord? Can you think of a better place to go when your life is upside down than before the presence of God at an altar that people actually pray and believe that all things are possible? Can, can you think of a better place to go? Well, I just want to know if you ever thought about it. Yeah, I thought about it. Now, I was able to come back to him at a later date in a, in a different conversation and make the point to him, and such were some of you. I bet you didn't really get serious about any service to the Lord until your britches got caught on what fence you'd been climbing or the chickens of the wild oats you had been sowing were about to come home to roost. Can we all be honest? That oftentimes we're not honest about pursuing God until we, we're at options. We should seek Him first, but what do we usually do? Seek Him last. Because if I take my Heavenly Father's advice... Excuse me, if I take my Heavenly Father's help, I'm going to have to take his advice. And that's a fate worse than death, right? We'd rather do it our way. The spirit of Frank Sinatra is all over us. I did it. 
You're laughing because why? There's an element of truth in what I'm telling you. So Proverbs 6 and 6 through 11. Zig Ziglar, the very famous uh, motivational, inspirational speaker, said this. He said, you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Okay. In Proverbs, the book of wisdom says, use the ant as an example, thou slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Catch this. Which having no God, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in some old sluggard. uh, When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to sleep. Verse 11. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth. That literally means a robber has come on you. And thy want as an armed man, somebody that's got a weapon. Are you going to argue with somebody put a gun in your face? Probably not. Here's my wallet. Here's my keys. Here's my phone. Take it. He is saying it's sure and sudden. You can write it down that when we have not prepared, when we have not uh, had a goal, we haven't executed a plan, it's not if trouble comes, it's if we've not prepared against that day. Who in here knows there is a time for every time to save? We've mastered spending. Okay, I don't remember who it was, but somebody asked me recently how much of their money they should save. And I said, well, you need to ask a different question. How much money should you spend? We've got an odd concept. We've got a concept. We're going to spend all of it and make me save a little of it, whereas we need to say, I'm only going to spend what I just absolutely have to. Isn't that contrary to our culture? That is very contrary to the modern culture. So for us to succeed, We've got to reconcile that the apparent conflict that God is anti-goals or God is pro-goals, what is it? Well, really, it's a mixture. It's a God is a God of goals. He wants us to count the cost. He wants us to get up and work while it is day for the night cometh when no man can work. But there's an inverse thing here. God wants us to humbly filter our goals through his will. Who in here has had your will? Who's had your will put you in the ditch? Who's had your will put you in traction? Who's had your will cause you to break up relationships or go bankrupt or be miserable, addicted, no friends, lonely? Anybody? Okay. So our will can be a detriment to us. Did you know God's ways are higher than our ways? His understanding is so far superior. I love to give this example. There was a man that was in the doorway, clothes washer, and he's stuck in that doorway. And an elderly gentleman who's a retired man who's a courteous neighbor says, Hey, man, I see you sweating and struggling. Could I give you a hand with that washer? He said, Man, I sure wished you would. And for about 15 minutes, they worked and they worked. Both of them had veins popping down their head. They were sweating and they were struggling. And finally, the retired man who's trying to help says, man, I I don't think we're going to get that washer in there. And the homeowner says, man, I'm trying to get this washer out of here. I think I'm helping some people. 
I think I'm helping some people. Who in here has ever been working as hard as you can to achieve a goal and you didn't realize you were working contrary to his goal? Sometimes when you wrestle and it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere, it could be that your will is not compatible with his will. When you are weary and well-doing, it could be because you're trying to achieve something God's trying to save you or spare you from. Sometimes we err because we have a lack of information. If the neighbor who was trying to be helpful had stopped and asked, hey, are we taking this out? Are we putting this in? That one question. Communication. Do you know how to get God's will? Communication. Yeah, very good, very good. Prayer, communication. Now, it's on your paper. It's not original to me. I put MT. That's Mother Teresa. I am not Catholic. I don't play a Catholic on television. But if you don't love the spirit of a Mother Teresa who gave up everything she had to work in the poorest city in the world, one of the largest is Calcutta, India, and worked with lepers. I mean, I can't find fault with her. Okay, I'm just going to say that. She, she said this. What's the quote right there beside it say? She said about prayer. Prayer is not a want list. It's not questions. It's not a wish list. What is it? It is how we align God's will with our goals. Literally, she says that when I pray, it's where I am able to discern or I have a predisposition to his agenda. Who in here admits we all have an agenda? Except pastor, we all have an I can't believe y'all laughed at me right there. Who has an agenda? Hey, I got a very simple agenda. You know, companies have agendas. They're called mission statements. Do you know what my personal agenda is? It's very simple. It's to reach the lost and perfect the saints. Perfect doesn't mean make perfect. It means make mature. My job as a pastor is to help you grow up, be able to sustain yourself spiritually, and to reach for the lost, to create an environment where it's conducive for more babies to be born into the kingdom. Amen. People make church a whole lot of things that we have no biblical precedent for, but perfecting the saints and reaching the lost, we're very, very well within biblical premises there. Now, let's think about it. Prayer is how we align our goals with God's will. Do you think pastor is a happy person? Hey, there is no retribution. I will not delete you from our daily text. I, I I won't block you from the Lord's Supper. Uh, I won't prevent you from coming to our Christmas extravaganza. I want you to speak your mind. Who in here thinks pastor in general is a happy person? Okay. Oh, I'm doing a good job of deceiving you people. Yeah. Happiness, you really can't deceive people. I genuinely, it's disgusting. Julie tells me it's disgusting. I wake up happy. And she, she noticed in our first year of marriage because I was acting in a way that she was unfamiliar with. I love Julie's dad. I grew up at their house. Uh, we had our first date when, when I was 12 years old, so I grew up at her parents' house. Right? You knew it. 
If he couldn't get a bolt in his alternator, the whole house would shake like the old bear growling. And if things weren't going well at work, it spilt over into the weekend. And if he had a bad day in the office, that night's supper was testy. You understand what I'm saying? It's how he was wired. So Julie got to where if things are not going well, for us, she'd go hide. And I had a day where I'm supposed to be at work. It's about 20 degrees outside, and my car wouldn't start. And we had very little money, and so I didn't have a lot of sick time, and so I had to get to work. Didn't have a lot of money to pay anybody to work on my car, and I am not a mechanic. Do you know that? I am not a mechanic. The best thing I learned about mechanic work is who to call. I understand how things work. I don't have the patience to make all the bolts align. Can I just say this? You should never use machine-threaded bolts. You should never put them in with a hammer. And I have a tendency to want to use a hammer where you need a, a wrench. Y'all get that later. Okay. And so I just don't have the patience for it. And, but I came in the house after being out there in the cold for an hour or two. I'd taken the part where I could take the part to the parts house and hopefully get a new part because I don't go to the parts house with, without the old part because invariably I'll get home with the wrong part. I take the part I need. This is what I need. Okay. And so I come in the house, and Julie's just smiling. I said, hey, did we get some good news I didn't know about? She said, well, I was just watching you out the window. I was like, I said, I don't know. I guess I'm happy. She said, I don't understand that. I said, what do you mean you don't understand that? She says, it's 20 degrees. You've missed work. You've cracked your knuckle twice. You know if you have the Holy Ghost by what you say when you crack your knuckle. I said, thank you, Jesus. And she said, the whole time you're out there in the cold, working the car, you go, <laughs> you're whistling. Why? I said, I guess I'm happy. She said, why are you happy? Can I give you all a word? Happiness is not based on your circumstance. It's based on who you serve and knowing no matter you don't like what you're going through, if you know you're in his will, don't matter. That was a light bulb moment for our marriage and for Julie. She then from that day, we've only been married about six months. From that day forward, she, she realized she could be around me when things were not going well. What she had always seen is you got to hide because the old bear's ground because things are not. Do you understand what that did for our relationship? You know what it did for her faith? Can I tell y'all, we've got to make sure our actions line up with the will of God in our life. Do you know that I could have been tore up from the floor up that my car broke down, but do you know that God could have caused that starter not to work to save my life from a head-on collision that happened right up from where I work? Do you, do you know that? God's got a will, and we don't have to understand it. Does it say, honor God when you feel like it? At all times, his praise will continually be in my, whether it goes well or not goes well, whether I get a Christmas bonus or I don't get a Christmas bonus, whether my neighbor ever says hey to me or not. God is still good. I got, I got to keep moving. Now, we're going to set goals. Who's going to set goals? Okay. How we reconcile, number one, our goals are an offense to God if we don't inquire of his will for our life. And Brother Caleb said it, we get that through prayer. I'm a happy person at nature. I whistle all the time. Am I content? 
if I was content, we'd still be renting a building over here running 200 people and I'd get paid regular and just show up and have church. For the last nine years, I've been working two jobs, one pastoring, one working on the building. If I was content, we would never consider opening a daycare. I can show up and preach, collect my check, have my weekends, do what I want to do. I'm not content. I am not content. I am happy no matter what I'm going through, but I got one life to live, and I'm going to put my foot down on the pedal. I'm not coasting. I'm not taking a rain day. I'm not just marking time. I'm not just waiting for old death to come and collect my body. Today is the day of salvation. You realize why we struggle with fear and worry is because we're already considering tomorrow. We hadn't even lived today yet. We need to live in the moment and realize this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That word glad doesn't just mean happy. It means to apply ourselves in a happy fashion. Who here's living for the weekends? I understand not liking your job, but we're going to pray that you change jobs or God gives you joy in that job because that's too much of your life to be holding your breath all week. I'm, we're going, men, you're going, we're going to pray about this for you because I do not want four-fifths of my brother's life for him to be dreading. That is not the will. Of, do we have to do things we don't like to do? Julie calls me and says, bring the plunger. Do I enjoy But I do it because I'm going to need to use the bathroom later. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What do we have to complain about? We're going to set goals. Here's, here's what we're going to do. So you got over three weeks to prayerfully consider what God's will for you do you see how knowing God's will will affect your goals? Okay. If your goal is to buy a big house, but God's will for you is to be a missionary in a foreign country, that's going to change your goals, isn't it? Why would you buy a big house here if you're going to be a missionary? If you're going to be a missionary, when you know God's purpose in your life, I'm using a missionary as an example. You might going to be a teacher. You might be a business person. You might be an entrepreneur. You might be teaching financial peace. You might be teaching ESL. You might be, you know, a, 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 a great mother. Whatever you feel God's calling you to be, it's going to affect your goals. If I'm going to be a missionary, I'm probably, number one, going to get out of debt because you cannot serve God on the mission field and have $100,000 in unsecured debt hanging over your head here. Can't, cannot happen. Uh, UPCI will not approve a missionary that's got, and worried about paying this bill. It's not going to work. So the first thing I'd probably do is get debt free. Number two, what would I do? I would want to know kind of where I'm going to be going so I can maybe learn the language. Who thinks that'd be a good idea? Yeah, Okay. I'm going to Uzbekistan. I'm going to learn to speak Uzbeki. What are you laughing at? You know what they speak there? Uzbeki. Okay. What else might I do? Learn the geography. Learn something about the culture. Right? Right? 
My daughter, Elizabeth, who I love, and she's starting to expand her taste buds. But until she was about 22, about all she would eat is chicken or some variation of chicken. What do you mean variation? I mean Zaxby's fried chicken, Chick-fil-A's fried chicken, Chili's fried chicken. We would go to an Italian restaurant, and the first thing she'd ask is, what kind of chicken do you have here? She's doing better. She's doing much better, okay? They're not going to have chicken nuggets in Siberia. I talked to our missionary to Siberia. Do you know what they eat in Siberia? Their delicacy, their number one delicacy in Siberia is horse sausage. Packed in natural casing. I want to make this point. Do you see if I know my purpose is to be a missionary, how that would change my goals and how I plan? Do you see how important it is? You're trying to push the washer in, and God's trying to push the washer out. We need to pray and consider. Before the year starts, it's a natural time to adjust your habits. If and I, I didn't get to all the enemies of not achieving your goals uh, one of them is finding excuses to celebrate. Do you know there's no major holidays between New Year's and Memorial Day? That gives you almost five months to develop discipline. That's a dirty word, isn't it? Discipline. Mother Teresa said discipline is the bridge that connects goals with achievement. You will never go from a goal to an achievement that you do not have. I could spend a whole series of Wednesday nights on discipline. Who wants to make goals and decisions that please God in the new year? Just tonight, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, we thank you for those that are here and those who are not able to be here, maybe that are watching. God, we pray for Shirley Kestner, God, who is trying to recover from radiation treatment for brain cancer and Penny Forstell from surgery. And God, we see this uncle. God, that is having stroke-like symptoms. God, I'm not able to do anything, but you're able to do all things. God, dispatch your angels of mercy, and God, bring healing to him, not for my glory, not even per se for his benefit, but for your glory, God, just to demonstrate once again that you're a healer and that you do hear and answer prayer. Help every one of these hearers tonight to have faith that, God, you have a plan for their lives. You have a will, and God, when we be begin to inquire of you, you will speak to us, and you will give us direction, and God, you will give us willpower and discernment and the ability to reach the potential that you've planted in each one of us. Help us tonight to live a life of service to others, and God, let us care about the sick and afflicted and continue to carry them in prayer, and everybody say, in the name of Jesus, amen.